it's the Page Avenue Crew podcast, or almost kind of. It's just me. My name's Adam. This week has been a little crazy. I'm traveling. We've got these shows coming up, so we're super busy and couldn't get everybody together to actually podcast and record. So instead, we're bringing you an interview from an awesome podcast, an old friend of ours, Josh Toomey. We've known this dude for 20 years. We played with his old bands back in the day, in the Big Blue Monkey days. He was in a band called 12 Volt Negative Earth. He went on to play in a band called Primer 55. He has since, in recent years, started a music podcast called Talk To Me. Lots of great artist interviews on that, especially metal bands. Uh, Ryan has actually been on this podcast. I think it was last year, year before. Point being, that became wildly successful. He ended up partnering with Knotfest, Slipknot's music festival that's now become more of a multimedia network. They've got a Twitch channel. They've got a YouTube channel. And he's got a show on Thursdays on there called Throwback Throwdown. He had me on recently. We talked about the early days all the way up till now. Lots of good stuff. Old stories. It's a really good conversation and it was super fun. So we're bringing you that today in lieu of a full episode and we'll see you next week. Most likely we've got these shows coming up and stuff's wild, but we're going to get you something regardless. Point being, Toomey's awesome. His podcasts are awesome. There's a link in the description to those things. So now I'll shut up and just let you listen to the podcast. Enjoy. All right, let's welcome the great Adam Russell to Throwback Throwdown with Toomey. How you doing? Hello there. <laughs> I'm good, well, dude. How are you? It is great. It's great to see you, man. It's been a while. Yeah, dude. It's been a like it's been like ten years, I think. I think it's eleven. If you I, because I looked at a uh, photo of you and I from like 2009. I think you guys were out with uh, Devil Wears Prada and. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think that might have been the last time. It might it was either that or a warp tour. I think it was one of the two. I feel like oh, I was right around the same time. I just remember being in a bar in you know, <laughs> somewhere in the south and playing video games and drinking a lot of beer or some shit like that. No, I did I I saw you in drugs, so would that have been after that? Maybe. That was yeah. like twenty eleven. Okay. So it might have been then. Yeah, somewhere out. It's a very very phasey uh Hazy time there. You got yeah, uh, Jordan same. of the Year in the chat saying peanut. Jake <laughs> saying welcome. Mazza saying what's up, Adam. <laughs> Pims91. Felt emo again. Might delete. <laughs> so the chat room same. is already off the chain. Man, it is. Uh, well, you know what? Let's just go back to the origin of you and I meeting, man. I was trying to think. Was it the in Memphis, Tennessee, low cash, 12 volt negative earth show? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, we were playing, God, what was it, Barristers? Is that what that venue's called? Yeah, I believe it's called, yeah. Yeah. I remember um, it was like, it was a janky stage. Oh, yeah. That was like, I don't know, could collapse at any minute. But we also, <laughs> you know, climbed on top of the PA, did all the wild shit, and we thought we were just like the shit. And then we watched you guys and we were like, oh, this is a real band. Oh, fuck. <laughs> These guys that. are really fucking good. Uh, you guys were a lot of fun back then. The whole the, that whole St. Louis scene, you know, the uh, how much that town embraced my band at the time, too, man. You guys, Big Blue Monkey. Yeah. Uh, all those bands back then. Yeah, dude. We I remember I probably told you the story, you know, drunk 10 years ago, but <laughs> Alan Hessler, the guitar player of Low Cash, um, still a friend. Uh, who's an engineer who worked on one of the story of the year albums. He's, he's done a lot of awesome shit actually. Um, anyway, he, we were outside and he came or no, Joel, the bass player came out and he's like, dude, you got to come see this band in here. Alan said they're better than fuse 12. Oh, was, wow, that's... And, and fuse 12 was like the, you know, they were like the fucking hardcore heroes in our yeah. hometown. And I was like, okay, here we go. And watched <laughs> you guys. And I was blown away. I liked fuse 12. I saw those guys too. Marissa says, hi, Adam. Spice Girls uh, Forever says something about Adam with the wavy emoji there. So, yeah, you're getting a lot of love in the chat. Yeah, man. Um, You know, you know I, was, I was trying to think back to just all those times and just seeing you guys and hanging out. And, I, I, you know, you still need to find the photos of us in, like, box robot costumes and all that, man. Dude, someone <laughs> just sent it to me. I think um, Maria, who's in the chat right now, okay. sent it. And you I have don't know the photo? Oh, uh, God, if I can get in discord on my ipad yes 
<laughs> yeah, just text that over to me. But uh, but yeah, man, just just crazy times. And then obviously, you know, you guys, you know, twelve volt kind of goes one way. You know, Big Blue Monkey. Did, were you ever officially in Big Blue Monkey, or was it always story of the year? How about that? Um, I was in B- Big Blue Monkey. We got signed as Big Blue Monkey. It's on our Maverick record contract. Nice. Um, but I joined while Dan was still playing drums. John Taylor was still singing. And then that whole transition happened within a year, I think, of me joining. And we became what story of the year would be. Right. Um, still under the name Big Blue Monkey. And got signed as that. And it was, I mean, I think it was like assumed. I think Feldman was telling the label like, yeah, we'll we'll get the name changed. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I played all the old songs, like everything that I was a fan of as a friend, and you know, a fan of the band. Played all the shit that was written before I was in the band, and then we started writing all that stuff together. That became, you know, kind of evolved into like the the post hardcore screamo emo yeah. kind of story of the year that everyone came to know. It was crazy how much I loved Big Blue Monkey back in the day. Like, you know, they were just such a great band. Dan was yeah. like Dan was one of my favorite drummers back then. Like same. And the um, you know, Ryan as a guitar player, and even the was John the vocalist, you know, he had such a it was like it was like the deaf tones, but if it had like the singer from Journey singing for them and, yeah. it, was, and it was they did it right. It was so good. Yeah, mixed with like boys to men. He had right. such like an R and B kind of element. That was so good, man. He's great. Oh, and you know what's funny is I remember being in Twelve Volts, and I think uh, Finch, thank you, thanked Big Blue Monkey and their CD. <laughs> and we were at band practice, and we were like, "They fucking made it!" <laughs> like I don't know why, but that was like making it. You know, you guys got yeah. thanked by a uh, a national band in their CD. Dude, they influenced us so much too. We don't. Oh, yeah. That's one band that we don't talk about as much. You know, we always kind of. We referenced Glassjaw and um, Saves the Day and, you know, earlier kind of post-hardcore emo bands. But there was something about Finch that was like, it was just a very simplified sort of pop accessible version of all the same stuff that we were into. And it was less coastal sounding, even though they were from the West Coast. It, they Maybe it was like the double kick and like yeah. they were tuned down a little bit. It just, it was more familiar to us. And I remember being in the van singing that first album front to back over and over and over again. It was like our sing-along album. Yeah, such a good album. Yeah. I remember uh, when our guitar player left, calling Ryan and pleading with him to join (laughs) Cobalt. I was just like, I was like, dude, you have like it would have been insane if he if him and our guitar player Cody would have been together. That would have been a nuts uh, yeah. thing. But I remember just like I was like, move to Nashville, come on, man. Your band's never going to do anything <laughs> and all that stuff. And just like I was like, I was like, we'll we'll join forces and and become bigger than ever. But uh, obviously, he's stuck in uh, St. Louis and stuck with you guys. But man, I remember just talking for I we probably talked on the phone for hours, just like uh, I was like trying to get him to come down and be in the band. Yeah. He did. He didn't tell us about that until way later, because I think, you know, being from I, I talk about this sometimes being from a city with a much smaller scene, there's so much more competition. And it's not still to this day, it's not anything like Nashville or New York or L.A. or even Chicago, where there are so many musicians that it's kind of natural for people just to bounce from band to band and coalesce into these different kind of like local supergroups. With us, it was like either the people you went to high school with or a small group, and there was so much like just unhealthy kind of competition, you know? <laughs> the idea of like someone asking someone else to join the band was like, yo, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> it's like such a threat, you know? Yeah. But um, in hindsight, like, duh, yeah, that makes sense. That's like, that's how it works. You meet somebody that's awesome, and you're like, dude, come on, join forces. Right. Come be in my band, man. Makes sense. Um, you know, he told me he did the podcast a few years ago and yeah. he was like, dude, he's like, I'm still trying to rip off. Where did all the sunshine go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I've tried so many times and I just can't figure it out how to do it just right. <laughs> Too funny, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, get you guys getting signed and just becoming fucking massive. Like, it's just crazy how big that first album still is. And, you know, they're making, you know, you're TikTok stars now. <laughs> you know, like people yeah. are making like emo TikTok videos with uh, until the day I die and stuff. I mean, it's still, it's still relevant, man. So, so just 
run me through all of that. Just getting signed and just blowing up. It was nuts, man. It was awesome to watch from my side of it. But Dude, you talk about um, seeing something and thinking, oh, they made it. Now we're a meme. So I think that that's when you know you made it now, I think, right. when you become a meme. Uh, yeah, it was, dude, it was fucking amazing. And I, like, the the, the only true regret I have in life, in, in, like, you know, in terms of career and shit like that, is not taking the time to appreciate it all as it was happening. Right. Part of that was just being young and fired up and kind of like, okay, what's next? How do we do the next thing? How do we get bigger? How do we go to a new territory? How do we do this? And the other part of it was that although these dudes were my friends before I joined the band, I was still a fan of them. And they were always like, they were always the band that we all knew in St. Louis. If somebody's going to make it out of St. Louis, it's going to be those dudes. Right. So when I joined, I expected to succeed. You know, I had no question like, yeah, we're going to fucking do it. And I'm a part of this now. Let's fucking go. So I do, I do regret not like taking it in, um, in, in the moment. But that being said, still, I look back and it's like, holy fuck, how do we, how do we do that? How do we pull that off? We, every, the stars just aligned, you know? And yeah, we worked hard to get into a position where we could take advantage of all of that. But damn, dude, we got lucky in a, in a lot of ways in terms of when we met Feldman what kind of bands Maverick was looking for at the time, um, the shit that we were into and how that scene was ready to go mainstream and all that kind of stuff just lined up. Cause we really, we didn't, it's not like we did anything drastically different than bands before us, but there was a combination of taking those influences and then Feldman knowing what to pick out of it and how to hone that into what would become like, uh, kind of like the birth of the mainstream version of that scene. Mm-hmm that just it's unreal when I fucking think about it, how it all fell in place, you know? How did you guys know to contact Feldman? Because he hadn't really done much to that point. Was the used album out yet? I mean, where, where were we at in the timeline? Yeah, that was 2002. Okay. Early 2002, probably. So we knew that for sure. Um, and we were all Goldfinger fans to some degree or another. We'd all played Tony Hawk Pro Skater. So fair minimum, we <laughs> knew one song front to back um but we we played point fest which is you know the radio show in st louis we cheated to win a contest to open that uh all Tell the, me the cheating story i've heard i've heard this story but i think it's amazing it's like the early hacking of the internet yeah it was like it was a bot that a friend wrote essentially to vote for us over <laughs> and over and over again and we won with like 3.5 million votes <laughs> and second place second was place like 1.2 because they figured out the bot thing like a week late so um, I think the point was just like, well, these guys cheated better. I guess they win. Um, so we opened that, and our guitar player at the time, Greg, who um, had been in other local bands, and he was kind of the leader of his band. He was super driven, same kind of thing. He's like, dude, Goldfinger's here. John Feldman's a producer. We have to get him a demo or something. So we ended up taking – we had a VHS that was a like a an edited-down version of our longer VHS, which was just a straight – like early rip off of the Pantera home videos. Cause as soon as I got a computer, I was like, dude, I'm making a fucking Pantera home video for my band. Essentially. <laughs> that, was, that was my dream. So uh, we made this thing and I think we had, I think we gave the CD as well, but we were really operating as if like this was our EPK, our electronic press kit. I don't know if anyone now knows what that means anymore, but we, um, we were handing that out. We gave one to Feldman at the signing, Greg actually just found their bus and just walked up on it and just put one by their VCR. You know, Feldman ended up with like three of these things that day. And apparently when they were driving to the next city, uh, the uh, their guitar player at the time, Brian, was like, what do we want to watch, you know, in the front lounge, whatever. And he said, well, there's two of these tapes. I don't know what the fuck this is. You just want to watch this? They put it in. <laughs> And that was kind of it. Feldman thought we looked fun to tour with, like we were a, a band that might have some potential that at the very least had a good live show, you know, and had energy. So he called the number or emailed whatever, <clears throat> went to the contact on the VHS tape 
got a hold of our tour manager, who was like almost like our fifth member at the time, or sixth, I guess, at that point, John Oaks, and offered us like a week of dates with Goldfinger. And then everything went from there. So nuts that you, but you guys did, did the whole like we're moving to California to make it, but yet right. you kind of would have already made it. Like you didn't have to go. But I remember right. from my point of view, I remember again at the practice space, like, did you hear Big Blue Monkey move to California? You know, like yeah, that yeah. was like you know, our big talk, you know, it was like, wow, they really, you know, you're really, you're really going for it. But yet St. Louis still kind of uh, made it all happen. But I think from listening to the Page Avenue crew, which is an amazing podcast if you're a fan of your band. And I think it's great that the uh, any band will do this much and go into this much depth of, of the career. And I think it's a smart thing for you guys to do. I haven't told you that, but I think it's very smart what you guys are doing with the Page Avenue crew. And, you know, you guys are a lot of fun anyway, so having a weekly podcast is not going to hurt. But right. that being said, you know, you get a, you guys move to California and you just so happen to be like an hour away from Feldman or something. So yeah. it all just kind of worked out anyway. Yeah, it definitely did. And then, you know, we also we semi-accomplished our goal of going there and kind of breaking into a second scene because there was no nowhere else close by enough that made enough sense to fully like uproot ourselves. Like Chicago would have been a step up, but not enough to say, hey, we're moving out of our hometown. Yeah. So we figured we'll just go establish this other presence on the other side of the country and something will happen. And we did get some of that out of it. Like we met Seosin while we were there. We met some other bands that we, I think we hung out with Finch while we were there. So shit was kind of rolling, but you're right in that ultimately we could have gone on tour with Goldfinger straight from Overland, Missouri, and it wouldn't have fucking mattered. But it was cool to kind of establish some roots. And then since we were living, like you said, we were an hour from Feldman. So we would drive up from Orange County up to LA every day during the recording process. It also worked out with like showcasing. We were there, like just ready to fucking do it, not have to worry about. You know, if you said, hey, let's go showcase for Maverick and we were in Missouri, we'd say, OK, we'll we'll be there in a few days, I guess. We'll just <laughs> right. get all of our shit there somehow. Instead, it was like, oh, yeah, here we come. We're driving up right now. So it wasn't totally useless and it was a great experience nonetheless. When did uh, Maverick kind of come into the picture? How did that work out? And, you know, how much was actual Madonna involved with you guys? Zero Madonna, which is such a bum out. Um, and we even asked, we were like, to Guy O'Siri, who was the head of A&R there at the time and was, I guess, technically our A&R dude, Madonna's former manager. Um, we were like, dude, if we go gold, can we meet Madonna? He's like, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I'll make that happen. Yeah, 100%. Never happened. Um, <laughs> I guess she she was getting ready to sell her portion of Maverick at that time, and she was just fucking out. So... Definitely um, got like a uh, autographed naked photo of her or something. <laughs> yeah, dude. When I get done with this little moment here, okay, remind me to tell you about Deftones and Maverick and Warner, and the transition. It's fucking crazy. You, we may may have said it on the podcast. You may know, but I'll tell these other folks. Um, Feldman after taking us on the road for like a week, which turned into two weeks, which turned into some more shows. Said, hey, when we get back to L.A. I think maybe I want to take you guys to showcase for Maverick. And we were like, um, okay, yes. So we got home after that little leg of dates. He came to the house in Orange County and did like a quick, I mean, like the night before the the showcase, like two hours of pre-production on what he felt like were the best songs. He said, play these four, whatever it is, did arrangements, made a bunch of fucking changes, like a terribly stressful amount of fucking changes <laughs> for the night before showcase. And we played until the day I die, razor blades, a uh, couple older ones. And we just, we played the Viper room at like 10 AM. And that was that it was so, I mean, it just happened so fucking fast. It went from, yeah, these shows are fun to, Oh shit. We're showcasing to, Oh fuck. They're going to give us an offer. Like before we even get back to orange County, we're going to have an email. And then we were, of course, like over the moon, but also I was kind of freaked out. Like, uh, <laughs> aren't you, aren't you supposed to like, like pick between the 
better offers? Like, what if this is a shit deal? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Say no to the first offer and right. Yeah, that, and yeah. Yeah. That whole thing. And, you know, and talking to you guys, you, you guys had showcased a bunch. You had had offers. You had, I, I knew enough. We, we had it, showcased. We hadn't had offers. Well, hadn't you guys at least like gotten indie offers and shit like that? We had like one indie offer towards the end there, but we, okay. that, that fell through. Point being, like like yeah, you yeah. said, conventional wisdom is you just you don't take the first offer. You have no leverage. You have to you have to kind of like um, earn your first record deal, right? And that still made sense, but it was also like, well, we don't have any other offers, and this is a good label, and Deftones is on this label. Um, so even though it was a small deal by two thousand two standards. It was a pretty solid deal yeah. and we took it and <laughs> I obviously wouldn't change anything because <laughs> it worked out. You have a question in the chat room, which I want to know too. Adam, what webcam do you use? Because you look so crisp and clear. You look <laughs> like I look like I'm washed out and you're over here looking all handsome and shit. Um, it's all lighting. I'm using, well, I'm using my iPhone. Really? Yeah. I use um, an app called... Epocam, Epocam, Elgato okay. makes it, and uh, it just makes your phone into a webcam. But I have like pretty decent lighting and backlighting and all kinds of stuff that makes it a little more crisp. Nice, yeah, it looks Smoke good. And mirrors. You have to call, yeah, no, right. I'll have to call you later and get your uh, get all your tips and tricks over here. Um, and spray <laughs> tan, not really. No, um, I'll need some spray tan. I was gonna say that collectively, you guys all a huge Deftones fan to begin with. So I'm assuming if Maverick comes with pretty much anything, you're like, when do we meet Chino? Like, where do we sign? When yeah. do we, you know? <laughs> yeah, for real. And dude, and when we finally got to tour with them on um, Taste of Chaos, it was like just the culmination of everything that we could ever give a fuck about all just, it was incredible. I mean, like, yeah, we, you know, they were, we were, still super fans and it was still always awkward anytime anyone of those dudes was in the room and it took us the entire tour to get even like halfway comfortable with just chilling with those dudes but uh it still was like an amazingly surreal experience where you know like we we threw a big party in st louis and you know an after show party and she was there the whole time hanging out and he actually he became like the most he was the most engaged of all uh, you know of the whole band they're all, you know, they're all like eccentric, weird personalities, you know, but she was just really chill and was all, always hanging out, watching us from the side of the stage. And I remember we were all fucking cross-eyed drunk. He had had like half a dozen bottles of wine and we were standing there backstage and he had his arm around me, around me. And he's like, dude, let me tell you something, man. I watch you guys all the time. And man, I've been doing this a long time, but I don't know. I watch you guys and I don't know story of the year kind of just inspires me man and i was like wow holy fuck uh let me tell you about your band <laughs> right. uh, you know it it was like the peak of my fucking career so uh all downhill yeah. From there. yeah all downhill but dude i i have to say this before i forget yeah, um yeah. when maverick was kind of just folded and um, abs um absorbed by warner brothers once madonna sold off her portion and so on that's when we got dropped because they just had to like call the majority of the bands and just figure out who was going to go to Warner, who wasn't. Did you know that fucking Deftones had to showcase for Warner? Oh, wow. <laughs> this was in like 2007. Like after White Pony and after all that. Yes. Yeah. They fucking... just dropped you guys, though. They just they didn't even want to showcase. They're just like, no, no. <laughs> and do what it came down to ultimately was. Our second album didn't do half as well as the first. And contractually, they had to give us a lot of fucking money <laughs> on the third album. Right. It was like, you know, 750 grand or something. And it just, you know, it was a business decision. Like, no way. No way we're giving these dudes three quarters of a million dollars. So we ended so, up on Epitaph, which was great. Oh, yeah. Before we dive too much into it, I, I want to get into a little bit more of Page Avenue and just how massive that album became 
And, you know, until the day I die, huge single, you know, is that's is that album platinum by now or is it gold? Where are we at with that? You know, it went it went platinum last year. Finally, it was gold within the first like year or so, year and a half. And then t- took another like, you know, 14 years to go platinum. It's crazy, though. Yeah. You have a platinum record, Adam. <laughs> it's fu- it's fucking amazing, dude. But uh, even just getting ready for this, you know, putting that album back on, I mean, it just sounds so good. The songs are so good. And I'm, I I know from listening to the podcast, you know, how much you guys kind of, or Ryan probably more than anybody, fought with Feldman about parts and you didn't want to be not the metal guy. And, you know, why are we taking out my guitar solos? And, yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, man, that album just still holds up. It sounds so good. Yeah, dude, it's it's amazing how ahead of its time it was. I mean, as you have heard us talk about enough ahead of its time that we were like, what the fuck is this? Why do we sound like this? This is bizarre. We just knew ourselves as this kind of raw post hardcore band. Yeah. And didn't, we weren't seeing what Feldman was seeing through his fucking crystal ball, his emo crystal ball. Um, (laughs) So it was, it was a shock, but now, I mean, that he like created a sound with that yeah. album, you know, the used quite a bit, but that our album specifically, it was like the birth of the, you know, it's okay to be chopped the fuck up in pro tools kind of era. And that becoming a sound rather than that being like a crutch necessarily. Yeah. We used it as a crutch. There were fucking bass parts that I, I couldn't get through a period and I had to chop it up, but also <laughs> that sound developed through that. And yeah, it, it holds up. That's a crazy thing that people really need to get over is the being produced and having someone outside the band saying, chop this part up. Why are we doing this? I mean, yeah. you hear that from a lot of bands and, you know, one is a band you toured with on that album was my chemical romance talking about, you know, they go into the big studio and they're like, why are you doing this part? And they're like, why not? And they're like, yeah. no, why, why are you doing this part? You know? And they were always, they, he had a great, uh, Gerard had a great quote. He said something about, he didn't want to, he, he had to get over, upsetting hardcore steve you know like the one yeah you know, the one guy back home that was going to be mad about the new album and once he got over that he was they they obviously went on to do great but uh tell me a little bit about touring with my chemical romance back then because actually that's when i first saw them was opening for you guys actually here in louisville kentucky um and that's when you guys were bouncing off the walls jumping off backflips off the amps and everything yeah. else. but i mean you know they opened for you guys and that's when i was just like wow this is an amazing band yeah, dude, it's they they are the the band in I guess like the warp tour scene where everyone from our generation can say almost like as a badge of honor, did you know my chemical romance opened for us once? <laughs> you know? And we I think our first yeah, it was our very first like legit tour after we finished the album was we were the openers, then my chemical romance, then thrice, and then the used. Or vice versa with Thrice and the Used, maybe. Either way, from the very beginning, we were touring with those dudes. And that was before the Black Parade. That was still on you know, the EP from prior. Gerard was still a mess. They all smelled like a dumpster. They were like <laughs> the stinky goth kids. you right. know. And they were cool, but they didn't talk much. And we didn't really get it. We talked, honestly, we hung out with Bob Breyer the most because he was... He wasn't in the band yet. He was doing sound for the used and we knew they were good. It just, we didn't, we didn't get it. It wasn't our thing. We didn't see what apparently the label and management and everybody saw the potential for them to become what they became. But by the time they made that album and we were doing, what was it? The Nintendo fusion tour. And they were, second of four or direct support maybe it was lost profits i can't remember if the baby fucker was direct support we don't talk about the lost profits you don't bring him up without acknowledging that he tried (laughs) to fuck a baby um and he's still trying (laughs) to fuck a baby in prison yeah is he still alive i don't think you can go to prison for trying to fuck a baby without getting killed in prison uh somehow he's made it i think he's still around weird okay i feel bad for the rest of that band um either way, they, <laughs> either way my chemical romance who's 
guilty of zero baby fucking uh, was they were ramping up for three cheers and shit was just like popping the fuck off. Like you could see through the tour as they kept getting bigger and bigger. That single came out and it was pretty fun to watch. And it was like a perfect formula for the tour as well, because our, you know, we were kind of at our peak for that album. So that, that album cycle and everything was just like going off. And they were by that time, Gerard was sober. They were like, a whole they were on a whole new level they hung out with mikey a lot i think by that point gerard was still gerard cool dude but very you know very much kept to himself played a lot of like world of warcraft in the dressing room um and then after that while we were trying to write our second album we watched everything just fucking explode for them and then I guess our second album was in 2005 and then Black Parade after that. And it was like, oh my God, these dudes, these fucking stinky vampire kids are a goddamn arena band. This is amazing. And talk about a success story. Holy shit. Yeah. Now they're coming back around as like festival headliners. (laughs) Yeah. And people are freaking. I think my favorite part was the fact that they broke up only in like 2013 and people are like freaking out in like 2017 that they were talking about coming back. I'm like, they they weren't broke up that long. You guys just stopped listening to them on that last album. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got the chat room stirred up. Uh Dave Ferret says, dude is still alive in jail. Marissa comes back. Hopefully someone kills him. Dave <laughs> Ferret says agreed. So <laughs> got a lot of anger about uh about old Lost Prophets guy there. Yeah, but he's that does suck for the rest of the band because you can't get that stink <sighs> off of you. I mean, that's it's not as, as almost as bad as as I lay dying, but not as bad. And obviously, they just kind of somehow came back together. But dude, you know, yeah, that, that ain't shit compared. Dude, Tim could try to have everyone else in the band's wives killed as well, and that's not shit compared <laughs> to fucking a child. Too funny, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh. Obviously, you guys go on to um, you know, go on to in the wake of determination, and kind of go back to your your roots, trying to get away from yeah. the polished sound of of the first al- album. And I still love a lot of those songs on there. Someone in the chat earlier did want me to ask you, um, you know, do you guys still not care anymore? <laughs> <laughs> we do care more. Okay, good. Now it's good to know. I think that variation of the lyric works maybe i don't <laughs> i don't know if it'll uh melodically work as well we'll see so when i had uh, actually i had sunny sandoval on here um a couple of weeks ago talking about 20th anniversary of satellite and he was he said the same thing you guys said about page avenue where he thought that satellite sounded too good and he's like he's like how do we sound this good you know kind of thing yeah and almost being like should we put this out because it almost sounds too good and so obviously you guys go into the wake of determination, trying to toughen it up a little bit, harden up the edges. And yeah. uh, was that Steve Evitz on that one? Yeah. Steve Evitz, who he's like the New York hardcore producer, you know, he's from Jersey, but he did. So he did a bunch of those Jersey bands as well. Like that kind of emo post hardcore stuff. He did Snap saves case. the day, obviously Snapcase. Um, I think he did a sick of it all album. Um, turmoil or terror i mean just like a lot of that shit that we were really influenced by even though we had we had done a version of that sound that wasn't i don't know we kind of i almost think the albums in reverse order would have made more sense i could see that but um nonetheless we did it and we went for that more raw sound and it definitely it definitely alienated some people because we I mean, and that was that was the idea. It was a fucking stupid idea, but that was the idea. <laughs> right. um, we were just I don't know. We were just young and mad at success. It's <laughs> so like punk rock guilt, that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I wanted to be fucking Pantera and Glassjaw and Propagandi and Snapcase and. Dan wanted to be H2O and all the above and Ryan wanted to be Pantera and Glassjaw and Van Halen and all that. And it's like, it's weird. Like we were rebelling against like the formula of like the pop songwriting formula, but we didn't, it's not like we broke it. It's not like we broke the mold and it's not like anything that we grew up on followed or didn't follow that 
kind of basic songwriting structure, right. like every Pantera song is verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. Right. It's just fucking brutal, you know? So, uh, yeah, we did, we made a rebellion album, but we still made some fucking dope songs on that album that I, I, I think do hold up. Like you said, and I, I think one of our like top three best songs ever is on that album. Um, is this my fate? The last one. So our time is now is still great. Um, I love a lot of shit on that album, but I think we could have done the same songs with John Feldman and it would have made more sense to fans. Um, I don't know. I hate having regrets. It just, I think it was like a little off the mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess you've got it. You built such a huge, it's, it's crazy when I look back and I watch old videos of tour videos and things, because I guess at the time, you know, YouTube wasn't a thing and, you know, Facebook and MySpace was barely a thing. And yeah, but you just didn't see the crowds and stuff. So now when I look up story of the year on YouTube and I see some of those crowds you guys played in front of, I'm like, Oh my God. It's, yeah. It's nuts. You know, some of those, I think there's maybe like an Australia, some Australian shows and stuff like that. There's just like sea of people. And yeah, it's just crazy how big the band got. Yeah. It was uh... There, there actually, you know, I talked about not taking it in. There was one moment, we talked about this on the podcast, where we really had an, oh my God, these are really our fans kind of moment on stage. And it was, to date, our, our biggest headlining show. It was Sydney in 2005 or five or six. Headlining to, um, I want to say like 5,800 people, um, which, you know, it's not an arena, but that's a lot of fucking people. That's twice as big as the venue that we play here in St. Louis, you know, our, our big hometown show. And we were standing on, like Josh came out from behind the drum kit with a camera, like a fucking tourist to take a picture <laughs> of our crowd, you know? And a lot, a lot of the footage in that second DVD is from that because that whole tour was just insane. Australia is still our, you know, that's our, our biggest, all of our biggest markets are there still to this day. Huge in Australia. Jordan of the year in the chat says, I personally think take me back is one of the best or the year songs in general. Such a banger. I love that song and the video. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. And the, that the riffs on that album are super heavy. Yeah. That's one thing that I think people might miss in the band. If they're only hearing like this emo screamo stuff, if you listen to the riffs, like it's a riff city in a lot of these songs, man. And it's really good. Yeah. And Ryan's always been really good at writing riffs that, themselves are hooks right you know and that's that rage against the machine pantera influence van halen kind of influence where you could we we just we wanted so badly a chorus that could just be like freedom like rage you know just here comes the riff and you're gonna bob your head and you could hum the riff as much as you would hum a, a vocal melody you know what i mean yeah so that that still to this day is a big part of songwriting and and choosing the songs, you know, the ones that stand out to us. We want it instrumentally to be as memorable as vocally. I think a lot of people will miss how good of a guitar player Ryan is. I think when, uh, was it when Eddie Van Halen passed away, like he just ripped a solo in honor of Eddie and you're just like, Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. He, he did the thing. He did like the, uh, the climbers version of, Mount Everest, he, like the fact that he can just rip um, eruption is is goddamn impressive. <laughs> right. I had a kid and uh, we were in high school and um, we had a kid, a, a new kid moved to town and wanted to be in our band. And we're like, what do you got? You know, and he gave us a, a videotape of his talent show from his other high school and he played eruption. Whoa. And we're like, you're in the band. <laughs> yeah. That'll do. Yes, we'll take you. A uh, question in the chat uh, from Jordan of the Year. Speaking of, why are there technically two versions of Take Me Back? Screams on the album at the end, but the video version is just Dan singing the outro. Because in those days, uh, the radio and MTV politics of getting played or not getting played were so strict, but also just stupid and arbitrary. Right. That's like where you'd have to take out like double bass. <laughs> you would put right. in a single kick in places. If it was too heavy for alternative radio, it wouldn't get played. Or it would if the song was good enough or someone 
and a label paid enough or they cared enough. So we had to like play the game to try to get that shit played. And ultimately it didn't get played much anyway. And it, <laughs> I mean, same thing with the video. We, we changed so much in that video to, um, to sort of fit like the, the PG standards of MTV. Like the, the, the kids are, um, they, they steal, they steal beer from the convenience store. But on the way out, the kid throws money, oh. so he's not technically stealing it. And like as they're driving, there was this, those kids were actually hanging out and just like it was a, a great video shoot, like a lot of charisma and a lot of like vibe between those kids. Um, they're in the back of the truck, just being fucking wild, threw a beer bottle at a sign, and there was a great shot of it, like you know, exploding on the sign. Had to take that out. Um, just a, a bunch of shit like that, and it all comes down to those like. You know, and and like death rattle of the old model kind of remaining politics of can't scream, can't no one can die in your video. Uh, you know, all all that weird shit that now is completely irrelevant. Serena the first says lyrics are also a banger on that song for sure. Would you make a seven minute song now? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Why not? I mean, on the last album, I mean, I wasn't in the band at the time, but they made uh. What the fuck is it called? Praying for Rain is like six minutes. I don't know if it's good enough. Fuck it. If we write November Rain, the story of the year version, <laughs> I'll go 810. Let's do it. Uh, his name is Adi Dave JS Yi. Says the no streaming <laughs> is weird since we don't care anymore starts and ends with one. So there you go. Yeah, it's weird. It's like some stuff counts. some, And especially like in those days, before screamo before that like true like uh i who was the first one to really do it? i guess hawthorne heights were the first to have like a ton of actual screaming with the super clean singing mainstream it was like you could do the scream sing kind of more like active rock kind of thing and get away with it but you couldn't just straight scream right. and dan coming out of the melody there i guess it didn't count I don't, I don't fucking know. It never made any sense. Same guy says, actually, all of your singles except Sidewalks until then had screams so weird that the studio would want to nitpick. So Yeah, playing the game. It was weird. Playing, playing the game. Um, when did you do the uh, the Dime Bash? Is this around this time or no? Um, it would have been as late as 2008. Okay. Because I had switched to Ernie, I only know this because I had switched to Ernie Ball, and one of the first few bases I got, I had painted slime green. Nice, like you know, like the dime slime guitar, um, and that was like '08 Warp Tour is when I started playing those. So it would have been around that time, and I had moved to California, which was in two thousand. Yeah, there we go. I did it. 2008. <laughs> so that's around the Black Swan? Yeah, yeah. All of that, okay. Yeah. What did you think of the Black Swan? I think that might be one of my favorite albums, too. I mean, you, you know, the, the you kind of got the uh, first three albums of the career are all pretty much bangers. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... It seems to be, like, the fan favorite, like, the number two. Um, and... A lot of tattoos. I, yeah. And I, I think it was like, it was definitely a good sort of return to our original sound and a return to our roots and a, a growth rather than just, just rebellion. We like really, we took a lot of time with those songs and we, we, I think we became a version of the story of the year that we will kind of continue to be. We settled into what we really are like the, combination of the post-hardcore and metal and emo and all the stuff that is i don't know it's a little heavier than maybe will continue to be from here on out but i think it's a good sort of amalgamation of all our influences and even though it's an album very much of the time and there's like a, a lot of political shit on it that's very of the moment i think it all holds up really well and it sounds fucking great elvis is an amazing producer and engineer elvis basket who did the album and it was a great experience. I think everything was just kind of 
aligned. We were we were all fired up again because we had been dropped from Maverick. We were on a new label and we had this new kind of reinvigoration of of our drive to be a band and like make our make our career I'll just say it straight up. Right before then, <laughs> yeah. Ryan and I were so frustrated with the whole label thing and you know, sort of the perception that we had to make another until the day I die or you know, it wasn't gonna work. Whether or not the label was actually asking for that, that's what we felt like they were asking for. And we were like, fuck that. And I remember thinking <laughs> I remember thinking, for real, they can fucking drop us. I don't fucking care. We'll do whatever the fuck we want. And then we did get dropped and it was like, oh shit, psych, never mind. Uh <laughs> no, this sucks. I'm fucking scared. So when we did get re-signed and we saw how stoked Brett Gerwitz was and everybody at Epitaph and how how we um we sort of had a second opportunity to prove ourselves and to really create a career that was going to have longevity we were fucking we were just firing on all cylinders and then Elvis kicked ass and the experience there in the studio was great so yeah I love that album and I would say I put that on if I just want to hear like a story of the year song that kind of makes my head move. It's a little heavy, a little heavier than the most I'll put on that album more often. I think that's the period of time I saw you at work tour. And it's crazy that it was only five years removed from page Avenue, but like the, the story of the year career arc had already like, there's been a, a huge arc to it already. And I remember being side stage watching you guys but watching the crowd and still you know when you guys play the you know until the day i die and the new songs i mean it was a giant crowd was i think we were in atlanta like yeah. just a big sea of people and just watching that and just seeing that it wasn't over i was i was really happy to see that you know if that makes sense that yeah you know that it was still a viable band or whatnot you know and it was it was still cool to see and then even even when we go up to 2011, the last time I think I saw sort of the year live or 20, two, two, uh, 2009, you know, you guys are with Devil Wears Prada and you guys kick into Until the Day I Die and the damn place, the roof felt, you know, blew off the place. So it's it's yeah. crazy to, to have seen all of that. Yeah, we definitely have a new appreci appreciation for those hits, like, you know, those, those songs that live in such... Uh, like an extremely nostalgic place in people's hearts that came out at formative times in their lives. We, we do care anymore. You know what I mean? We like, <laughs> back to the question. Yeah. It, um, those, those songs have become some of my favorite to play because nothing compares to hearing a, a crowd sing at the top of their fucking voices, every word to a song. No circle pit will ever fucking touch that. So, I not only do I appreciate that, but I also have been far enough removed, you know, almost 20 years now from from those songs and getting burnt out in the first couple of years that I can listen to them and go, yeah, those are really fucking good songs. I can't I can't believe those are our songs. Holy shit. You know, so uh, 2008 was great on Warped because we it it had been f five four years, four, five years since we had done the whole thing. So we were, we were just ready to fucking party. You know what I mean? And we did, we partied super hard. We raged. We were old enough that we, we could hang with the older bands, but we weren't far enough removed that shit was awkward with younger bands. You know, and we just kind of like got along with everybody had a great time in Atlanta. Atlanta's always been pretty good for us. Yeah. Some of, I mean, like I remember one of the biggest shows we ever played was big day out in, Oh, four, probably Foo Fighters headlined one stage, big boy headlined the other from outcast. Yeah. Yeah. And we played it like, I don't know, fucking three in the afternoon. And there were like 15,000 people like just, you know, it's all like parking lot and streets, you know, it's not like they're in the stands or, and it's not right, like right. it's an amphitheater, like a full amphitheater for full worth of people just out in the fucking streets, out in front of this, festival stage and it blew my fucking mind and then watching Foo Fighters on the exact same stage later that night was like oh shit 
Um, I like Atlanta a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, the Warp Tour that Katy Perry was on. And yes. he, I was back with you guys at your bus. Did you guys have weights out? I believe you had weights with you and you're like working out, you know, like yeah. a buff. And we look over and that's when she was dating the dude from Gym Class Heroes. And like yeah. they both walked off of their bus and they're like right there. And I was like, oh, there's Katy Perry. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out. It was weird, dude. I she wasn't like the Katy Perry yet, right. but she was, you know, coming up. So I didn't quite get it. I was like, what is this chick fucking doing on this tour? And she had, you know, the bus with her face all over it and stuff. And everybody <laughs> was kind of like, what the fuck? And she really only hung out with production folks and everything because she was kind of out of place. But now it would be like, dude, where, where the fuck where, can we? Where's Katy Perry? Can we go? Is she having a party? Can we go to her party? <laughs> can I just talk to her? Can I just see her? Yeah. Uh, clean up the chat here a little bit. Um, um, ye Dave, ye. I'm just gonna call him Ye from here on out. Uh, Black Swan is their absolute best. No shade to the other four amazing albums. Jordan of the Year, and my computer is wonky here. Uh, that album was a ripper. I watched all of the studio updates religiously around that time. Um, you know. But yeah, you know what's crazy about all that time was was you know you were getting very much into the video side of everything and doing a lot of the back, you know, doing the Pantera style home videos and yeah. Were you working a lot on the actual videos themselves too? Kind of diving into all that. Um, Ryan and I directed. I use that term generously. Um, Sidewalks, third single on the first album. Uh, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, and. I mean, it's a decent video, I guess, because of the the crew that was involved in the team, the production team and everything. And Johan from Lincoln Park kind of mentored us a little bit on it, but he was still a student at the time, a student with a lot of resources, essentially. So, um, yeah, we didn't know shit, but nonetheless, those experiences were huge. We went on to, I mean, every video that we've ever done since then, we've been very much involved. The most recent one, miracle from uh from wolves i wrote the majority of and worked really closely with the director jordan phoenix who's a you know one of my best friends on developing that whole thing so yes some music video stuff but mostly like the lifestyle documentary pantera home video style shit is what ryan and i always did the um the documentary about the music industry that we made those black swan making of kind of web clips ryan did all that we shot it all together i mean that's the shit that kind of came naturally to us because from the very beginning i'm sure you did the same shit like you know shoot a bunch of stuff on camcorders and then you get a couple vcrs together and right. try to chop it together and you know throw hey, firecrackers I, I, at still each have, other. I still have low cash footage on vhs Stank. back here that i gotta pull out the view of you fronting low cash so dude you know, Chris Ravenscraft from Locash has yeah. a massive, massive collection of bootleg concerts on VHS. Okay. Um, and I know he's got, I mean, a bunch of the local stuff and, you know, 12 volt and all of our shit as well. You guys should exchange that shit. He's, he keeps talking about, I mean, he's been saying this for 15 years that he's going to digitize all of it. But I mean, it's like, you know, the old the printer paper boxes right the lids of those that are like he has all the tapes in those lined up because it fit perfectly <laughs> like a you know a couple dozen tapes he has four stacks like six feet tall like a pallet basically of vhs tapes of everything like hundreds of deftone shows hundreds of pantera shows hundreds of white zombie shows metallica the fucking so much shit you guys need to talk about old footage that you have there's a debate in the chat room um, I wish they'd add tell me back into their set. It doesn't look like I'm trying to figure I'm, out if that's what we're arguing here. I mean, we're going to do that at the Black Swan show in August, doing the whole right. album. There we go. <laughs> yeah, added. There we go. So yeah, make sure to check out the Black Swan. Is that, I know you guys did the live streams. Will that be a full on actual show or are you guys doing live stream again? We have three shows booked that are now over a year overdue because you know the pandemic happened we rescheduled and then again and then again so 
it's three nights in St. Louis, Page Avenue, then the Black Swan, then another Page Avenue at two different venues. Um, they're smaller shows, so we did multiple nights in smaller venues rather than one big thing, so we could do the whole albums, you know, and kind of break it up and do something special. I think there are still some tickets available, but, you know, all the original tickets were honored, so it's a question of, like, who got refunds and how many tickets were freed up. Um, so if they're there, Delmar Hall and Red Flag are the two venues. I don't know their websites off the top of my head, but you could find that on the Google. Uh, question Serena the First says, what is one song you think you will never play again? Is there a story of your song you guys will never play? Uh, and she says, I'm going to guess Five Against the World. Uh, well, that's an awkward title. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it would be four against the world now. Yeah, we, I mean, I'm sure we'll play it again. I I can't imagine we would never do like a full um, in the wake of determination show sometime somewhere. Right. So I'm sure we'll always find some reason to play like the full catalog here and there. In terms of songs that I would wouldn't mind never playing again there are a few but man Keep if i'm if i have to play it i have to play it whatever um five against the world i think it's fun sleep song from in the wake makes yeah. me want to go to sleep so titled yeah so i don't i'd prefer not to spend time playing that one again <laughs> um i do have another interview at six thirty-five my time so about 15 about 10 minutes left to go. So I want to, I want to get in a little bit of uh, drugs talk. Yeah. I loved that band. And when you joined, I was like, that's amazing. Um, why did you leave story of the year the first time or the only time, I guess, uh, anything we want to talk about there? Um, well, when I joined drugs story of the year kind of just went on a hiatus. Ryan was doing Ryan and Phil were doing Greek fire. Right. And you know, it was just kind of time, you know, we were, we were all in weird places. The constant, that album wasn't, it wasn't working. Management was here. This is all kinds of shit. The writing was on the wall. So we kind of went and did our own things. And I didn't leave the band until after we got back together, did the 10 year anniversary of page Avenue and so on. And then kind of wound down again. So, um, I was, I actually, I joined and then quit the band drugs all during my time as a, you know, still a story that you remember, even though we weren't doing shit, we were just kind of, we were on ice for a minute. Um, but when I did leave, it was really about, um, just wanting to, wanting, wanting to kind of remain stationary for the first time ever touring had, had, had kind of worn on me over the years and I had been divorced. I had remarried and my wife at the, time is now my wife and forever wife um i don't know i didn't i didn't uh i didn't want to repeat the same you know nine months away a year kind of thing with her and we were all i was also you know all the shit that all the same reasons that we kind of did a hiatus were still kind of lingering for me so when it when the, the idea of getting back into another album and doing that kind of shit came back around. It was like, I don't know if I'm feeling this right now. So I left the band and it was, it was kind of expected. They knew it was coming. There were no hard feelings. I mean, I talked about this on the podcast, like on the call while I was still on the call, they were like, so I don't know, what do we want to do? Like, I don't think we want to get another bass player. Maybe Phil could just play bass and they're just talking it all out. And I was just sitting there and they're like, Oh, Hey dude, I'm sorry. If you need, if you need to go or whatever, like it's cool. I'm like, all right, dudes. Well, I'll, you know, talk to you guys later. Just you know, text me or whatever. I mean, it was completely all good. And I ended up coming to every single fucking show. It's like it was totally chill. It was just kind of time. Um, and then when I came back, it was also time. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of drugs, I do want to talk about drugs for a moment. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know you, I don't. From the outside looking in, I don't know how positive or negative that experience was for you. But just being in Story of the Year, uh, we'll look at it this way. Being in Story of the Year for so long, joining up into another band after so much time, 
was it just awkward and just strange that these weren't the dudes that you grew up with? These are like, this is a band that's a putting together kind of a uh, emo super group <laughs> at some point, you know, and, uh, and kind of put together, you know, did you kind of look at it that way, I guess? Uh, the thing that made it not awkward at all was working with Feldman. You know, he, he brought up the idea of me being the bass player. He brought me into the whole thing. I spent a little bit of time in the studio with them. They made the majority of the album without me because I was still touring with story. But, um, so that made it familiar and easy to transition into. And I, I mean, three of the four dudes are, are still like to this day, like my brothers, you know, and we got along so well, so quickly that it was, uh, it was cool. Everything with Craig was, I mean, from the beginning, like nothing like I had ever interacted with. And the whole thing was just, it was a lot, it was a roller coaster, but, um, it was all also so exciting and fresh because I don't know, it, breaking the mold of, of, you know, just working with the same dudes that I had known since high school was actually a good feeling. And I was ready to be challenged and I was, and it made me a better musician and I learned a lot. I got some new fans that are maybe to, you know, to this day, story of the year fans from that. Um, and overall it was, I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't go back and remove that even though half of it was like the worst year and a half of my life. It was like some of the best and worst experiences of my life. So I remember I saw, we went to see um, motion city soundtrack and they were opening for Chiodos. Mm -hmm. and I didn't know anything about Chiodos and I was like, we'll give this band a couple of songs and then we'll leave. We watched the whole show and Craig was just like that it factor that I was talking about with like Gerard way, you know, just that, mesmerizing character just voice and, and presence and everything else so i mean like the drugs album i was going to get into either way it was like an like cherry on top that you were also in the band too yeah it was cool i think i saw i think i saw you guys maybe once or twice you know with you in the band you know <laughs> you still being you you know i think we you were playing like the emerson theater in indianapolis and you ended up like on a balcony standing on top of it you know yeah like adam hasn't changed a bit but uh, yeah, man, it was it was it was cool to see you in that band, and uh, I don't know any of the personal workings of Craig, but uh, but from the from a outsider looking in, man, what what a voice on that guy, dude! It was, it was uh, it was cool. I mean, it, I went into it trying to not be the kind of member that I was in Story of the Year, where we were we were all kind of equal members. There was no you know lead singer up front, band hangs back thing. Like right. like you said, Ryan and I were always everywhere, you know. We wanted to bring that like next level show from every angle drugs. I went into it thinking like, okay, there's a, this band is built around this dude. I'm going to kind of play my part. And then after a while it was like, no, let's just all fucking bring it. And there was so much inconsistency in other ways. I remember Matt Good and I specifically being like, fuck it, dude, let's just make sure the show rips, do whatever the fuck we need to do to, to make it rip, you know? So yeah, that's I guess that's the place where I was when when you when you saw me out there on the balcony or whatever or on the bar like yeah forcing the bartender to give me a shot and slam a beer with me. So as we kind of wrap up, we got a couple minutes left. I I did I did notice when when you when you rejoined Story of the Year, like I started noticing your name pop up more on stuff, and I'm like, I think something's going on, and I think I might have even talked to you, and you're like, something's going on, but you didn't tell yeah. me what was going on, and yeah. all of a sudden it just announces the announcement that you you know you're back in the band, and you know, fans going nuts, and you know the, the, even everyone in the chat room here is going to go nuts and stuff too, you know that you came back because you're obviously a fan favorite, you're a good dude, you're Adam Russell, but uh, I do my best you know, just coming back into the band and kind of where the band is right now, you know, playing big shows still and being able to go out and, and headline bigger, big venues and things like that. I mean, how is that for you? You know, almost 20 years into this. It feels amazing, dude. I, I talking to my wife about all of this recently because I I've, I've had a regular job for years now and mm -hmm. I'm like transitioning back to being more of a creative person, more, of the time, you know, I'm only working like part-time at my kind of day job and got two podcasts and we're making a new album, all this kind of shit. And 
in kind of describing how I feel in this sort of like midlife crisis of like, holy fuck, no, I just want to spend time being a creative person. I had the realization that it's not just like I'm just stuck like fucking Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite, you know, stuck in 82, you know, in fucking high school football. It's like, no. Story of the year, this band, this all this music is literally my life's work, you know? So that kind of sums it up. You know, I'm, I, I can't imagine ever letting go of this because it is my life's work. I've, it, like this shit, I've, the, the most proud I've ever been of anything as majority of those that kind of like short list is with this band. So we will continue to make music and play shows or do whatever we're doing and whatever capacity makes most sense to us is most fulfilling to us is most engaging with our fans and it's exciting to be shaping that new era and be ready to go kind of full force into it. Absolutely. Well, uh, Adam, I appreciate you. We'll end it on that. And uh, we were going to, I'm going to end this out with Anthem of Our Dying Day. You know, go Dope. back, go back to the hits. But uh, obviously, always great to talk to you. You're welcome on here anytime. We'll have to catch up more often and uh, keep those random texts coming through and pantera memes and everything else <laughs> have a good time man hell yeah great to see you okay. dude hey man and and i i don't say this enough to you so proud of you like just thank you dude from, from the bottom of my heart you know from back in the day all the way through man just just very happy for everything that happened with you guys you too man 